are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I am reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500 pages of the mystical revelations received by Maria of Agreda. Today is day 25, as we continue to make our way through this book. And if you want to join a discussion group on Facebook, just look for the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and you'll be able to post there and interact with other people who are listening to this book throughout this year. Today, on day 25, we are reading from chapter 14, and we are beginning at paragraph number 190, and we'll read through 198. Chapter 14. How the Almighty made known to the holy angels the opportune decree for the conception of the Most Holy Mary, and which of them he selected for her custody. In the tribunal of the divine will as the inevitable source and universal cause of the whole creation, all things with their conditions and circumstances are decreed and determined, so that nothing is forgotten and no created power can in the least impede the fulfillment of the decree. All the spheres and the inhabitants contained in them are dependent on this ineffable government that rules them and cooperates with the natural causes unfailingly and unerringly in all that must be done. God works in all and sustains all by his sole will. In him lies the preservation of all things or their annihilation, for without him they would return to the non-existence from which they were drawn. But since he has created the universe for his glory and for the glory of the incarnate word, therefore he has, from the beginning, opened the paths and prearranged the ways by which the same word should lower himself to assume human flesh and to live among men, and by which they might ascend toward God, know him, fear him, seek him, serve him, love him, praise him, and enjoy him eternally. Admirably was his name in all the lands of the earth, and magnified in the plentitude and congregation of the saints, whom he ordained and constituted as a people pleasing to him, and over whom he placed the incarnate word as their chief. When the world had arrived at the last and befitting stage according to the wishes of his divine providence, and when the predetermined time had come from the creation of that marvelous woman, whose sign had appeared in the heavens clothed with the sun, Apocalypse 12, 1, and who was to rejoice and enrich the earth, the Most Holy Trinity executed the decree of forming her. I will now manifest what, within the narrow limits of my reason and concept, I have been able to comprehend. I have already said above, number 34, that for God there is no past or future, since he holds all things present to his divine and infinite mind and knows all by one simple act. But reducing this to our way of speaking and to our limited mode of understanding, we conceive that his majesty remembered the decrees of the creation of a mother, befitting and worthy of the incarnation of the word, for the fulfillment of his decree is inevitable. As the opportunities and preordained time had arrived, the three divine persons conferred with each other, saying, Now is the time to begin the work of our pleasure, and to call into existence that pure creature, and that soul which is to find grace in our eyes above all the rest. Let us furnish her with the richest gifts, and let us deposit in her the greatest treasures of our grace. Since all others whom we have called into existence have turned out ungrateful and rebellious to our wishes, Frustrating our intention, impeding by their own fault our purpose, 
namely that they conserve themselves in the happy state of their first parents. And since it is not proper that our will should be entirely frustrated, let us therefore create this being an entire sanctity and perfection, so that the disorder of the first sin shall have no part in her. Let us create a soul according to our pleasure, a fruit of our attributes, a marvel of our infinite power, without touch or blemish of the sin of Adam. Let us perfect a work which is the object of our omnipotence and a pattern of the perfection intended for our children and the finishing crown of creation. All have sinned in the free will and resolve of the first man. Let her be the sole creature in whom we restore and execute that which they, in their aberration, have lost. Let her be a most special image and likeness of our divinity, and let her be in our presence for all eternity the culmination of our goodwill and pleasure. In her we deposit all the prerogatives and graces which in our first and conditional resolve we had destined for the angels and men, if they had remained in their first estate. What they have lost we renew in that creature, and we will add to these gifts many others. Thus, our first decree shall not be frustrated, but it shall be fulfilled in the higher manner. Through this, our chosen and only one. And since we assigned and prepared the most perfect and estimable of our gifts for the creatures who have lost them, we will divert the stream of our bounty to our well-beloved. We will set her apart from the ordinary law by which the rest of the mortals are brought into existence. For in her the seed of the serpent shall have no part. I will descend from heaven into her womb, and in it vest myself from her substance with human nature. It is befitting, and due to the infinite goodness of our divinity, that it be founded and enclosed in the most pure matter, untouched and unstained by fault. Nor is it proper that our equity and providence overlook what is most apt, perfect, and holy, and choose that which is inferior, since nothing can resist our will. The word, which is to become man, being the redeemer and teacher of men, must lay the foundation of the most perfect law of grace, and must teach through it that the father and mother are to be obeyed and honored as the secondary cause of the natural existence of man. The law is first to be fulfilled by the divine word, by honoring her as the chosen mother, by exalting her with a powerful arm and lavishing upon her the most admirable, most holy, and most excellent of all graces and gifts. Among these shall be the most singular honor and blessing of not subjecting her to our enemy, nor to his malice, and therefore she shall be free from the death of sin. On earth the word shall have a mother without a father, as in heaven he has a father without a mother. And in order that there may be the proper correspondence, proportion, and consonance in calling God his father and this woman his mother, we desire the highest correspondence an approach possible between a creature and its God be established. Therefore, at no time shall the dragon boast of being superior to the woman, whom God will obey as his true mother. This dignity of being free from sin is due and corresponds to that of being mother of the word, and it is in itself even more estimable and useful. It is a greater good to be holy than to be only mother. But all sanctity and perfection is nevertheless due to the motherhood of God. The human flesh from which he is to assume form must be from sin. Since he is to redeem in it the sinners, he must not be under the necessity of redeeming his own flesh, like that of sinners. Being united to the divinity, his humanity is to be the price of redemption. Wherefore, it must before all be preserved from sin.' 
and we have already foreseen and accepted the merits of the word in this very flesh and human nature. We wish that for all eternities the word should be glorified through this tabernacle and habitation of the human nature. She is to be the daughter of the first man, but in the order of grace. She is to be singularly free and exempt from fault, and in order of the nature she is to be most perfect and to be formed according to a special providence. And since the incarnate word is to be the teacher of humility and holiness, and for this end is to endure labors, confounding the vanity and deceitful fallacies of mortals by choosing for himself sufferings as the treasure most estimable in our eyes, we wish that she, who is to be his mother, experience the same labors and difficulties, that she be singularly distinguished in patience, admirable in sufferings, and that she, in union with the only begotten, offer the acceptable sacrifice of sorrow to us for her greater glory. This was the decree which the three divine persons made known to the holy angels, exalting the glory and honor of their high and inscrutable judgments. And since his divinity is a mirror in which he at the same time manifests new mysteries to the blessed, who yield obedience, this explanation revealed in a new light the admirable order and marvelous harmony of his works. All this follows from that which we have said in the preceding chapters, concerning the works of the Almighty and the creation of the angels, telling them to reverence as their superiors the incarnate word and his most holy mother. Moreover, as the time for the formation of that great queen had arrived, it was befitting that the Lord should not conceal the fact of his having disposed all this in weight and measure. Wisdom 11.21 Self-evidently, with human words and terms so limited as those at my disposal, the understanding given to me, that these hidden mysteries will be obscured rather than explained. But within these limits, I will tell what I can concerning the manifestation of the Almighty to the angels on this occasion. Now the time has arrived, added His Majesty, which was resolved upon by our providence, for bringing to light the creature most pleasing and acceptable to our eyes. That creature, in whom the human nature is freed from its first sin, who is to crush the head of the dragon, who is typified by that singular sign, the woman that appeared in the heavens in our presence, and who is to clothe the eternal word with human flesh. The hour is at hand, so blessed for mortals, in which the treasures of our divinity are to be opened and the gates of heaven to be unlocked. Let the rigor of our justice be softened by the chastisements which we have until now executed upon the mortals. Let the attribute of our mercy become manifest, let the creatures be enriched, and let the divine word merit for them the treasures of grace and of eternal glory. Now let the human race receive the repairer, the teacher, the brother and friend, to be life for mortals, a medicine for the sick, a consoler for the sorrowful, a balsam for the wounded, a guide and companion for those in difficulties. Let now the prophecies of our servants and the promises made to them, that we would send a Savior to redeem them, be fulfilled. And in order that all may be executed according to our good pleasure, that we may give a beginning to the mystery hidden since the constitution of the world, we select for the formation of our beloved Mary the womb of our servant Anne. In her be she conceived, and in her let that most blessed soul be created." Although her generation and formation shall proceed according to the usual order of natural propagation, it shall be different in the order of grace according to the ordainment 
of our almighty power. This concludes our reading today for day 25. We've been reading chapter 14, paragraphs 190 to 198. Our reading today is dealing, of course, with the conception of Mary in the womb of St. Anne. We heard it at the very end. And one of the things we notice, it said that on earth the word, the word being Jesus, shall have a mother without a father, as in heaven he has a father without a mother. And so this is something to think about, that in this moment this would be true, that as Mary is created, Jesus, who coexists with the Father from all eternity, who has not yet become incarnate but exists in the Godhead from the very beginning, that Jesus, who is there, begotten but not made, has no mother. And then, as Mary receives the announcement of the angel, and as Jesus is conceived in the womb, now on earth, Jesus is the fruit of Mary's womb. There is no seed. And in Mary, Jesus has no father, because the Holy Spirit comes upon her and conceives Jesus in her womb. Jesus becomes the very fruit of thy womb, Jesus, as we say in the prayer of the Hail Mary. And then as Mary is assumed body and soul into heaven, And Jesus is already there, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Well, now you have God the Father, and you have the Mother. So what is written here is true for a moment, but it's not going to be true in the assumption of Mary into heaven, because on earth the Word shall have a mother without a father. Why, yes, but then in heaven he has a father without a mother. But then when Jesus ascends into heaven and when Mary is brought into heaven, well, there God the Father and Mary his mother are present there in eternal glory. Here's another line. It is a greater good to be holy than to be only mother. But all sanctity and perfection is nevertheless due to the motherhood of God. So Mary is holy because God has chosen her to be the mother of God. And we see how that plays out, how she's not going to be tainted by sin how she is going to be spared that. But for all of us, we hear this, it is a greater good to be holy than only to be mother. That whatever vocation you have in life, you strive after holiness. You want to be holy. Mary was holy because of what God did in her life, and we can be holy because that's what God wants for us in our life as well. At the very end of our reading today, we select for the formation of our beloved Mary, the womb of our servant Anne. And I just like the fact that Anne is chosen, chosen to be a part of this story of salvation, chosen to be the mother of Mary, chosen in the future to be the grandmother of Jesus. We know God chooses us as well. He chooses us for how he calls us in our life. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading The Mystical City of God, and I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.